may be seated. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 23 today. So I get things set up here. <laughs> You know, I know that uh, you, you, you're probably missing First Peter, and, and you may be anxious to get to get back to First Peter. But but Paul asked me uh, to continue our little detour that we've taken the last couple of weeks, and and he's given me the freedom to choose uh, a passage to preach from, which is actually really hard for me. There's so many good options to choose from. Uh, you have the whole Bible. <laughs> Um, but as I was thinking about this, you know, we are launching our Pray For Me campaign. You should have gotten a few emails about that. Um, and we are studying prayer in our Sunday evenings tonight. Please come and join us for that. So I, I wanted to, to take this moment to preach on, on something that is centered around prayer, since we're kind of diving into this um, topic of prayer uh, and still, there are so many great options. Prayer is so important in our relationship with God, and it's, it's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. But as I was thinking about the Pray For Me campaign, that, uh, if you have any questions about that, please ask. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, but what we're doing in that is we're asking people to, to pray for others within the church. And I don't know about you, um, but oftentimes when it comes to praying for other people, I struggle to know what to pray for. What, how, do, how do I pray for others beyond just praying for the, the physical needs? Um, what is it that I pray for, especially if I'm going to pray for somebody on a daily basis, which is what we're asking to do? So I thought it would be helpful to look at an example of a prayer of intercession, a prayer that Paul is praying for others. And this prayer is not a prescriptive. Paul is not saying, here's a manual of how you pray for others. But yet, at the same time, I hope that this will be helpful as we are committing to pray for one another, that, that this, seeing how Paul prays for the church of Ephesus will be a helpful exercise. So, uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you have, which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you would, join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to transform our hearts and help us to know you more. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, let's, uh, let's go have a blizzard and a hamburger and relax. Who, wouldn't, who would say no to that? That sounds great. That sounds like a great idea. But when you're on the amazing race, it can be a fatal mistake. If you're not familiar with The Amazing Race, it's this TV show where you have 11 teams of two racing around the world, competing with one another to try to win the prize of $1 million. And the smallest thing can get you eliminated. And that was the case for Chad and Stephanie on season 17. They were the first team to get to the airport, and they got their tickets, and it, it looked like everyone would end up on the same flight, which happens often. And, and there were several hours before their flight was scheduled to leave, so they took their time to get a blizzard and a hamburger. But all the other teams that, that came in behind them, came into the airport behind them, were not content with their flight. They did more research. They kept pushing, and they found a way to connect through different cities and, and arrive earlier. And as they show all the other teams getting on the plane, you see Chad and Stephanie enjoying a hamburger and a blizzard, getting left behind. And unfortunately, that mistake led them to being eliminated on that episode. As I read this passage, I can't help to think that the church in Ephesus may have been tempted to make a similar mistake by being content with what they had and not pushing to grow more. Paul writes to them in verse 15 and 16, he says, "'Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints,' I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What would it be like to have Paul? I mean, Paul is kind of a big deal in the early church, and here he's saying this about the church of Ephesus. What, what would it be like to have Paul say that about this church? And even more personally, like, what if Paul said that, that he is, he is so thankful for you and your faith? And he never stops praying for you. What kind of, what would that make you feel? I don't know about you, I, I think I would feel pretty great about that. But I also think that if I were to hear these words from Paul, my temptation would be to pat myself on the back and think I've accomplished my goal in life. I have faith. I have my ticket into heaven I'm good. 
I can go get a blizzard and a burger and relax. Rather than keep pushing, keep striving to grow in my faith. Am I alone in this? It's hard to keep pushing, keep striving to grow in our faith. It's easy to become content with the fact that we have been forgiven through Christ, which causes us, and and knowing that we have been forgiven sometimes can cause us not to long to grow more and more, to know more of God and His promises. In this prayer, we see Paul praying that the church would continue to grow. He prays that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and knowledge. He prays that, that they would not be content with where they are in their faith, that they, they would long or that they would grow and know more about God. And in this prayer, we see Paul asking three things. He prays three things for the church of Ephesus. He prays that they would know the hope to which He called us the riches of our inheritance and the greatness of his power. Paul begins this prayer. First he says that we may know the hope to which he is called. He begins this prayer in verse 18 where he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Why does, why does Paul start this prayer asking that the Ephesians would know the hope to which they have been called? Especially like in light of the fact that he had just laid out what that hope was in verses 3 through 11. We see, in verses 3 through 11, we see this great, we see Paul lay out the great spiritual blessings that God has poured out on those whom he has called. In verse 7, he, he writes, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. In verse 11, he says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And then in verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's just told us the hope that we have in Christ. But He's praying that they would know more of this hope. And I think it's important to remember that Paul is writing to the, the, the people in the church of Ephesus are former Gentiles. They were once a people with no hope. There was nothing beyond this life, nothing to look forward to when this life ended. So this life was all they had. They could enjoy it while it lasts. But now in Christ, their hope lies in the future, not in the present pleasures that they can experience in this world. So he's praying for them that they would know more about the hope that they have in Christ. That 
They, they have something, he's praying that they would be reminded over and over again that they have something to look forward beyond this life, something to get excited about. Now, as I was thinking about this, you know, if I were to tell my boys that I was going to take them on a trip to Disney World, you know, they would be really excited about that because I would be excited telling them, hey, we're going to Disney World. But at the same time, they have no idea what Disney World is. So what are they going to do? They're going to ask me question after question after question after question to the point where I'll probably be very annoyed by how many questions I'm getting from them. And why do they do this? Because they are so excited. And they have this hope before them and they want to know more and more about the hope that they have in the future. In the same kind of way, we should long to know more of the hope to which we are called. We should not be content with the idea that yet we know we are going to be with our Father one day. That in and of itself, it, it's, it's exciting, yeah, but if you don't know who your Father is, it, it loses its punch. But the the thing is, the more I learn about God and His steadfast love for me, the more I long to be with Him. The more I learn about what it will be like when Jesus returns from passages like Revelation 21, 4, which says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore for the former things have passed away. The more I will pray, Jesus, come quickly. You know, Kevin, Kevin Teasley a couple of weeks ago said it very well when he said, it is impossible for us to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. If we are to set our hope on the future grace that 1 Peter 1.13 calls us to when it says, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we see from 1 Peter is that that affects how we live today. It changes what we long for. It helps us not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Paul is praying that they will know more of the hope that they have in the future because it has implications for how they live out the present. One commentator stated it this way, we must see the future clearly if we are to live in the present faithfully. But Paul not only prays that we would know the hope which he has called us, but looking back to verse 18, he follows this by praying that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. There's some debate among commentators here over whether Paul is talking about the inheritance which we receive from God, or is Paul referring to his inheritance, God's inheritance, that we as God's people are his inheritance? Both of these have valid arguments, and 
to support them. And both of these things are true. We have a rich, glorious inheritance waiting for us. As Paul stated in verse 11, we have in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And not only is that true, and we are the glorious inheritance of God as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. And one commentator notes that, that since God's inheritance in us and our inheritance in him are really two sides of the same coin, either interpretation implies the other. And I think that that is true. However, I do think it, whichever way we take this does have some implications for how we apply it. And I lean towards the first interpretation here for a couple of reasons, that, that, this, that Paul is referring to our inheritance that we have in Christ. The first reason is that the other two petitions in this prayer that are things that we would know that, that we would know more of the blessings that God has given to us. So it seems to fit the immediate context better to say that this is something that is given to us as well. Also, uh, in prayer, in, in Paul's prayer to the Colossians, in Colossians, uh, which shares a lot of commonalities with this prayer, he writes, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. It seems to be a little bit more clear that Paul is referring to the inheritance. He's using inheritance to refer to that which is ours through Christ. But lastly, I think that the broader context of who Paul is writing to gives us important clues to this as well. If we look at Acts chapter 19, we see that many of the Christians in Ephesus were coming to faith out of a practice of the dark arts. And when they came to faith, they burned all of their valuable, extremely valuable occult literature. In Acts 19 verse 19, it says, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Just to give you an idea of what that means, it, was an, it would be an esti estimated to be more than $6 million today. So there were those in the original audience that Paul is writing to who had given up their worldly inheritance for the sake of Christ. So it makes sense that Paul would pray that they would know more of their inheritance in Christ so that they would be, it would encourage them and sustain them as they're experiencing the loss of their worldly riches. This makes me think of uh, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What can I do? And Jesus, you know, said, uh, obey the commandments. I got that, check. I'm good. But when, when Jesus said, give up all your money, give it to the poor, he couldn't do it. 
And he walked away discouraged. It was the one thing that he couldn't let go of. As Paul is, is praying that those in the Ephesus, uh, Ephesian church and us would know more of the riches of our inheritance so that we would be more and more enabled to let go of our worldly riches. Not to cling so tightly to the things of this world that if called to lay them aside for the sake of God's glory, if, if we are called to do that, we would do so freely and with glad heart and not walk away discouraged. Now, this certainly applies to how we steward our money. It's talking about riches, and when we think of riches, we think of money. If, if we're not able to, with a glad heart, give 10% of our earnings as a tithe to the church, then we may need to learn more about the riches of our inheritance. I know that that's hard, and I struggle with that too. But if, if, you, if, you, if you don't struggle with giving of your money, maybe you're good at that. Maybe it's not that. Maybe that's not the thing that you cling to. It's not just about money. It's about anything that we cling to that, that we would not be willing to give up or, or things that become so enticing for us that we would rather pursue them than pursue God. To be honest, for me, it's often comfort. I want everyone to be happy. I want, I want things to be peaceful. I don't want there to be any conflict. For you, it may be the esteem of others, or maybe it's your career. or It could be having kids that are well-behaved. There's so many things that can grab hold of us like this. And I'm not saying that any of these things are bad or that we have to give up everything and live lives of poverty. But I am saying that the more we know the riches that we have in our inheritance, the less we cling to these things, the less they will take priority over our relationship with God. But it's easy to grow content with what we have and not long to grow in our knowledge of the glorious inheritance that we will one day receive. But Paul not only prays that we will know the hope of our call and the riches of our inheritance. In verse 19, he also prays that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Unlike in his other two prayers, Paul expounds on the greatness of God's power in verses 20 through 23. This power has put on display, has been put on display through the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. Through the resurrection, Christ defeated death itself and the grave could not hold him. And Christ did not simply come back to life. He was exalted and is now seated at God's right hand where he reigns with a power that is far above 
all other rule or authority or any other power that exists. Paul makes sure he includes everything here in the way he writes this. And this would certainly include the dark arts and the magic and the occult that I mentioned that they, many of them were coming out of. All of this immeasurable power and authority is towards us who believe. While this does have some application for individual believers, for Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ, individual believers are given power to do God's will. While that is true, I don't think that that is what Paul is really getting at here. I think Paul here is saying that that power is given not just to individual believers, but is given to the church. And it, that, that fits well within the main theme of this whole letter, which, which highlights the work that God has done through Christ and the Holy Spirit to build God's new society, the church, and what that new society is to look like. That's what he's talking about through the entire letter. But he says in, in verses 22 and 23 that he says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has given the resurrected and exalted Christ and all his power to be head over the church, to rule over it and to sustain it and keep it. Not only that, but the fullness of Christ fills the church with this great power. I think Paul is wanting the Ephesians and us to see the central importance of the church, to know more of why the church is not just important, why, is, why it is essential for the life of the believer. He's praying that God would reveal to us through the Holy Spirit that the church is the means through which God works his will, and accomplishes his, his mission in us and in the world. Now, I, I did a Google search of what, what's the most powerful thing in the universe. I wasn't surprised that they didn't say it was Jesus. Um, but the, the top result that came up on Google was a hypernova. Now, I've heard of supernova, which is the result of a star imploding. But apparently a hypernova is even more powerful than that. A hypernova is what you get when a sun that is 150 times larger than ours explodes. And it releases as much energy in a matter of seconds that our sun will produce in its entire lifetime of 10 billion years which they say is, is the same amount of energy as if you exploded 10 trillion, trilliontrillion, billion megaton bombs. 
I don't know about you, but when I read something like this, I start to get a little skeptical. Is someone just making this up? Like, how do they really know how much energy 10 trillion, trillion, billion megaton bombs would release? I didn't even know 10 trillion, trillion, billion was a number. Um, I, I don't know that our minds are really capable of understanding such great power. It just sounds made up. And we try to put it into words, but honestly, it, it, sometimes it just seems kind of, sounds kind of silly. And Christ's power is so far greater than a hypernova. He created the hypernovas. It's beyond comprehension. That's why Paul calls it immeasurable. And if it is true that this great, immeasurable power has been given to the church, how does that affect the way we view the church? Stated another way, how, how does growing in our knowledge of this power help us? Or, or, or why does Paul think it is so important that he prays for it here for the Ephesians? There are probably many ways that this would help us and many reasons why it is important, but there are two that seem to be particularly important in our current context. The first is that the more we know of this great power, the less we will be prone to fear. When the church seems to be declining in numbers, I'm talking to the church universal here, when we hear of of that, that England, which was once a religious center for Christianity, is now considered an unreached people group because there are so few Christians. And America is trending the same way, only about 15 to 20 years behind. When the culture around us is becoming more and more pluralistic and hostile towards Christianity, when you hear that a great number of churches will never reopen their doors due to the pandemic, or when you hear that 80% of 19 to 29-year-olds will abandon their faith after high school, those things are scary. And you can begin to wonder, where is this all headed and I'm not saying that we don't need to be concerned about those things. But if Christ and all his power is given as head over the church, we can have confidence that it will not die. It may be reduced to a more faithful remnant, but it will never be conquered. We can take confidence in that. I also think that this helps us to stick with the church even when we may be frustrated or hurt, or even when it's hard, or when we experience broken relationships and deep hurt within the church, we don't leave. When, when we are forced to do things differently and there are changes to worship that are hard, 
and you don't like, and maybe you disagree with, you don't give up. Keep coming and fighting to make it better. And I know it's hard. I mean, it's like right now, especially with kids, I know that it is hard to come and be in this space. But if I could just encourage those with kids that find it hard, I'm with you. But I want to, I want to say, this is funny that I'm saying this because my kids are being very uh, loud today, and I actually did notice them. But uh, there, there was a time after I was preaching that, that Sarah came up to me and she apologized about how our, my kids were being so unruly. And I was clueless. I had no idea that anything was happening. And I just say that to encourage those with kids that it, it's not going to bother me. Like, I, I, I can push through it, and, and it's not distracting to me. And I think Paul would, would echo that as well. We want you to be here. We love that you are here. And I could say more about that, um, but the point is, the, the, what I want to say is the more we know about the immeasurable power of Christ that is given to the church, the more committed we will be to the church. We will keep coming. We will stay connected. Even if we're not able to be here on Sunday mornings, we'll find ways to stay connected to the body. Um, we need to stay connected to the church because we know that we need this power that is given to the church if we are to continue to grow. In a lot of ways, that's why we're doing the Pray For Me campaign because it's an opportunity to help us be more connected as a body and put this power to work in our midst. So thinking back, what, what would it be like to have Paul pray this prayer for the church and for you? Again, for me, I think I would, I would, I would struggle to be just content with our, where I was. When we hear about all the blessings that, that we have in God, I would struggle to be content. But Paul is praying that we would know that, he, that God would send his Holy Spirit to help us to know more and to grow in our faith. But I have to admit, the more I thought about this prayer, the more I was convicted of my own contentment with my faith and lack of desire to grow. There's a part of me that uh, is actually uncomfortable about praying a prayer like this. You've probably heard the saying, be careful what you pray for because God might just do it. I think that phrase applies here. If the Holy Spirit were, really were to enlighten our hearts to help us to know more about the hope to which He has called us, the riches of our inheritance, and the greatness of God's power, that should bring about great change in our lives. For Paul, there is a clear connection between what we know about God and how we live. That as we increase in our knowledge of God, we also increase in our holiness and sanctification. 
So are you willing to pray these things, that these things would happen in this church and even in your own life? As a parent, do you want people to pray these kinds of things over your children? Are you content in your faith or do you want to grow more and more each and every day? Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you that Paul has prayed this prayer not just over the church of Ephesus, that he prays this prayer over the church as a whole. Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to grow more and more each and every day in the knowledge of our hope to which we are called, that we would know more of the riches of our inheritance that awaits us who are in Christ, and that we would know more of the great power of Christ that is for the church. Pray that this knowledge would not just be knowledge, but that it would change everything about how we live. I pray that you would bring us out of contentment and give us a longing for this a longing to grow more and more. Lord, I also lift up tonight the, the, the family night that we are having tonight. Um, I thank you for the good weather that we are able to do this. I pray that you will use it in the lives of our people, that it would be an encouragement that it would be a teaching opportunity that we would learn more and more about prayer and how we are to pray. Lord, I, I pray that it would be a blessing to young families and those with kids and those who have kids that have left the home. That, all that, that, that we would all come and learn and grow. Lord, I also pray for this campaign that we are starting, this Pray For Me campaign, that it would be a means to connect one another through prayer. That we would have people of different generations lifting up these young families in prayer each and every day, praying things like Paul prays, that they would grow in their faith, and that they would know you more and love you more. Lord, as we lift these things up in prayer, we also pray as you have taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen.